I want, I want everyone to take a second right now um, before we get started to kind of think on your life um, the, and specifically to think on the hobby or activity um, that consumes most of your free time. We all have varying amounts of free time, um, and, and I, I want you to think about the thing that consumes um, the majority of that free time, something that's superfluous. It can't be your job. Um, it can't be caring for your family. Um, it's just something that you just enjoy doing um, that's not essential to your life. Um, or, or the life of those who rely on you. All right. Hopefully it didn't take you too long because I'm not giving you too much time. Literally a second. Um, but what is it for you? What is it that, that like, you like to spend your time doing? What, what's your hobby? Um, is it working on cars? Is it reading? Um, is it uh, watching movies? John Wright's not in here, but I was going to rip him about Frisbee golf, disc golf. No, no, got it. Um, about disc golf, um, is like, what is the thing that you use uh, that you spend most of your free time doing? Um, as many of you know, I'm I'm a huge nerd. Um, I like comic books. I like superheroes. Um, I love video games. And when I was sitting down to like write this sermon and think through my hobby, um, the one thing that like popped up first with my limited free time, I always go back to video games. I enjoy playing video games. If, if it's sitting down by myself, um, playing a single player game. Um, if it's just getting together with some of my buddies from high school or from college um, that I keep in touch with through Xbox Live and play games with them, or even uh, I play with my brother-in-laws uh, pretty frequently. Um, James and Paul, I like playing video games with them. But I really enjoy just sitting down and, and playing uh, video games. It's, it's something that I choose to spend my free time doing. Um, and that's the thing about hobbies is that we choose to do them. We choose to spend free time participating in these hobbies. Um, it, no one compels you to do them. No one compels me to play. No one tells me, hey, Coleman, you have to sit down and do this now. Um, it's something I do. I enjoy it. Um, and at the same time, I realize how some people perceive video games, particularly the ones that, you know, video games that portray violence. Um, and I'm also hyper aware right now of like how the word addiction has been thrown away, thrown around um, with the like my chosen hobby. Um, and I'm not here to make a like a defense for video games or anything. I think I, definitely people are addicted to video games. I, I think there are video games out there that are way too violent. Um, but I do think that the the topic of video games, or the, specifically the top the topic of hobbies, is a good stepping stone for our topic this morning, um, which is freedom from the trappings of this world freedom to pursue the gospel, um, and freedom to pursue love. Uh, if you have your Bibles, our scripture this morning is in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. Galatians 5, 1 through 15. Um, if you don't, you can find it printed in your bulletin. But if you'll turn there with me now, and as you do, I'd just like to remind you, as I always do, this is God's word. Um, it alone has the power to change your life, to change your heart. If you hear anything I say today, I pray that you hear Hear this, so Galatians 5, 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence 
in the Lord that you will not you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You are, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father God, I pray right now that as we t- spend time dissecting your word and, and, and really considering what it means and considering the truths uh, that it brings to our life, Lord, I pray that you um, give me confidence to say what needs to be said. Um, you give me boldness and clarity so that uh, others may understand. And Lord, be with us. Open our, hi- open our hearts and our minds and let us be transformed by your word. Using your son's precious and holy name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what do hobbies have to do with any of that? That's, that's kind of the question that I'm posing for us right now. Um, and it's basically this. At any point in our lives, hobbies, um, any job, uh, any relationship, um, we can turn those things into idols that we devote ourselves to. We turn, we, we, we turn these good things that God has given us, um, and, we, and we make them idols, and we put them in the place of God, um, and they easily become this the primary source of joy in our lives. Um, whether it's reading, movies, video games, watching sports, uh, relationship, cars, uh, gardening, um, whatever it is, all these things are good things that God has given us when we put them in their, po- their proper place. That's the key. They're good things, but they have to be put in their proper place. But because of sin, because of the sin in our, in our hearts, God, God's given us these things, yes, but because of sin, we elevate these things to the position of God in our lives. They become idols. And Paul, in the scripture this morning, he's kind of um, warning the Galatians against this, this trap that we set for ourselves. He's warning them, hey, don't watch out. This is, this is something that they're, they're telling you you have to earn your salvation. And Paul is like, look, that's not the case. Uh, watch out for this trap. It's, it doesn't work. Well, to see how Paul is doing this, we, we're going to need a little context first. And so I want to set the scene for so you can understand kind of what's happening um, in Galatia. I think any of my youth here could probably explain this by now because I, I, I just went through like an entire semester going through the book of Galatians. Uh, and so Noah, you want to <laughs> shake his head at me. Um, basically, it's this. Um, Paul, in his first missionary journey, he established a church in Galatia, in southern, particularly in southern Galatia. Um, but after he left, some Jewish... Christians, quote-unquote, Christians, um, came in and they started pushing this predominantly Gentile congregation around. They say, look, we've, we've been the family the entire time. We know the, we know the Old Testament. We know the Bible as it was at that point. We know the stories. Um, and, they, and they started pushing them around. And they started claiming um, that if you really wanted to be saved, well, the way to do that is, yes, you believe in Christ, but you also have to follow the Mosaic Law. They're they're kind of they're pushing this Christ plus gospel. They're saying you have to you have to do something more than just believe in Christ. And if you really wanted to be a Christian, they're saying you had to become an ethnic Jew. That was what that was their whole point. Like if you really want to join the family, if you really want to get all the blessings that you can get, well, the way you do that is you get circumcised, you follow the the Mosaic law, you follow all the food laws, you do this, you do that, um, and then God will accept you. And um, Paul. <laughs> Paul has some pretty harsh words for them. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but he, when Paul here is mentioning circumcision, 
Um, circumcision, as many of you know, was the sign that Israel used to indicate membership into the covenant. Um, that, was, that was the sign that Israel took. Um, as that was how they knew they were part of the family of Abraham. Um, and so Paul is using this word here to kind of summarize the Judaizers' argument. We, we read in, throughout Galatians, the last few pages, um, that um, this, the, they read, he summarized their argument, he kind of railed against their argument, and now he says, hey, circumcision, which in, what Paul is doing here, he's summarizing the argument just under this term, circumcision, meaning obedience to the law. Um, he's using this word to summarize this argument for meritorious salvation. Basically, they're saying you have to merit your salvation. You have to do something. There's something you must do, something you must earn to be saved. And Paul is kind of summarizing all that in, the, in that one word, in circumcised. They were telling the Galatians that they had to follow the law as a means to salvation. And Paul's words are particularly harsh. Um, he, he classifies these people as false teachers, and his wish is for them to be emasculated, um, which all the guys in the room should like, kind of you know, crunch, crunch back of that. Um, but they, he wishes they would be emasculated. They would emasculate themselves, meaning that he wish, he, he, his um, anger at them teaching the, these Gentile Christians this false gospel, his anger is so much that he wishes that their family line would be, um, would be stricken from this earth, that no one would be left in their family that could carry on this works-based righteousness that they're preaching. It's pretty strong words that Paul is giving these people, but it, he, he knows that, this, that on this issue, on this topic, the gospel was, gonna, was either gonna was either gonna flourish or it was gonna fall, because for the early church, moralism was a huge problem. See, they were being pressured by all the Jewish communities which the church was springing out of. That's that's where the church started was in the Jewish community, was in the synagogues. Um, but the the, Jew, the Jewish communities they were pressuring the Christians to rely on the Mosaic law to try to garner favor with God. And in that way, they'd become just like all the other pagan religions of the time, which were basically saying, hey, do your sacrifices, say your prayers, and then, well, then the gods would have to bless you because you were morally upright. That was, that was kind of the, the, the means of, of salvation for them. As, as long as you were good enough, as long as you burned enough incense, as long as you killed enough animals, um, then God would, would appreciate that, God would respect that, honor that, and he would bless you. Um, and Judaism had basically fallen into that same category, except for they just kind of took the S off of God's and said God would. Um, they, had ta- they had taken and they had misunderstood and they had misappropriated God's law, which was never meant to earn salvation. It was meant to remind us of the fact that we couldn't earn it. You see, they were striving for worth. They were striving for joy. They were striving for acceptance and peace through the work of their own hands. Um, and as we'll come to see, if you haven't in your in your own life, as we'll come to see, that was a that was a futile, futile purpose. That was a futile mission for them. And Paul actually kind of takes it a step further. He he compares moralism to immorality. He says they're basically the same thing: moralism and paganism, idolatry, immorality. They're all means to the same end. They all get you the same reward. They're of no value. He says circumcision, which as we defined as, as obedience to the law, circumcision and uncircumcision, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. Morality, immorality, it doesn't matter. No moral exertion or moral failure in your life mean anything for the salvation of mankind, mean anything for your salvation. You can do nothing to garner God's favor, and you can do nothing to, to make God uh, hate you. They have no value. They have no power. 
Um, the wise and, and ever-quotable Tim Keller, he puts it this way, My good performance does not make me right with God, nor does my bad performance really make me any more lost and hopeless. All stand equally lost and equally able to be saved. Neither religious moralism nor licentious non-religiosity can do this, because both are essentially selfish and insecure. Selfishness and insecurity cannot produce love, because love is joyful self-giving. I think I know where where Justin gets his penchant for making up words, probably Tim Keller, licentious non-religiosity. But anyway, um, Tim Keller, he's revealing the heart behind Paul's message here. He's like, when your faith is reduced to moralism, when your faith is reduced to just what you've done, trying to earn your salvation, when you're trying to merit uh, God's favor through your own works, then those works are worthless. They're pointless. They're not going to get you anywhere because they're completely self-centered. You cease to do things for the glory of God. You cease to do things even out of a gratitude for all that he has done for you uh, and all that he, ha- he continues to do in your life. Um, and we're merely thinking of ourselves and how we can manipulate our circumstances, or even worse, how we can manipulate God to favor our own advancement. And so Paul is, Paul is warning against this. He, he is... He is kind of kicking and screaming against this false gospel that the Judaizers have brought to the Gentile church. Um, and the thing is, is that we, uh, or the early church, uh, is not alone. We, we do the same exact thing. We, we consistently act on these same impulses that the, the early church acted on. We, we continue to act on the desire to earn our salvation. Now, we, we do it a little more nuanced than they did. Right? We're not sacrificing animals. We're not offering up prayers and incense and, and all this stuff in an in a, in a attempt to earn our salvation. Um, it's a little bit nuanced, but if you think about it, how often um, do we live as something other than God is the primary source of comfort in our lives? How often do we live as if some activity is our primary source of joy? Um, to kind of go back to that original illustration, for me, I lived much of my high school life as if video games were the end-all, be-all. My parents can shake their heads here. They can affirm they're sitting right there. They can affirm that that was me in high school. I just played video games all day. I'd, I'd go to school, come home, play video games. Um, it's just what I did. It was the end-all, be-all for my high school, for my high school life, and it's what I saw as the, the primary source of my joy and comfort. They were the thing that I consistently went back to in times of stress, um, in times of sadness, in times of boredom, if I was depressed, I could always just go back to the TV screen and my controller to placate all those feelings. You know, it, video games might, might not be your thing, um, but, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you do have a thing, right? It might be living vicariously through the success of your favorite sports team. Looking at you Clemson fans, you know, just when we win, we, we get a little excited. Or the Golden State fans, I'm looking at you. I'm one of those two. Um, we live vicariously through the success of our favorite sports teams. Um, we, we throw ourselves into our work. When family life gets hard, we, we stay a couple extra hours um, instead, of, instead of coming home and dealing with um, hard relationships or, or crazy kids. And we throw ourselves into new relationships. All my single people, don't throw yourself into, into a new relationship because they, they aren't going to be your ultimate source of comfort and joy. 
And when we do this, when, when we try to make hobbies, when we try to make things that God has given us for his glory, when we try to make those things the end-all, be-all for our comfort and joy, for our glory, for our salvation, then we become enslaved to them. We become enslaved to these things. We, we stop choosing to do them. We stop just using them as, a, as an outlet for fun, for comfort, for glorifying God, and they become an idol in our lives, and we become enslaved to those idols. We can't put them down anymore. It's when we start spending 5, 10, 15 hours in front of a TV screen cheering for, for, for people who you know, will never know our names. It's when we, we spend too much time at work and, we, and our, our marriage and our family suffers. It's, it's when we play video games hours on hours on end um, and do nothing productive with our lives. We become enslaved to these things because we think they're their, the only way we can placate these feelings. We bow down to these little altars seeking relief from the pains of this life. Um, and in return, we get fleeting moments of passivity and apathy. That's all we end up getting. Sure, in the moment we might feel joy. We might feel excitement because our team is winning. We might feel joy because you did something cool or you made a plant grow that you never made grow before or you might get that the runner's high that so many people tell me exists but I've never experienced. Um, you, you, you might get that in that moment, but at the end of the day, if that's your only source, if that's your primary source for joy, it's fleeting. There's always going to be a better runner's high. There's always going to be a better runner. There's always going to be a better video game player, there's always going to be a better worker, a better employee, there's always going to be someone better at something than you, and, you're, and if, it's, if that's your joy, then it's going to ruin that joy, and it's going to be empty. It's going to be empty. And Paul is terrified at this prospect of the Galatian church who are filled, filled to the brim with people that he loves for, that he cares for, um, many of whom he led to the kingdom of God. He is terrified at the prospect of them falling victim to this emptiness, falling, falling victim to the emptiness of trying to earn their salvation, especially when true grace and true peace is so readily offered to them, especially when God is sitting there offering them grace and they're saying, no, no, I got something better over here. And so Paul exhorts them at this first verse of, uh, of chapter 5, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's saying, do not willingly enslave yourself to things that cannot satisfy. Do not willingly enslave yourself to the idea that you can be good enough. And do not willingly enslave yourself, here's the kicker, to the, to the anxiety and the insecurity that comes with following something that is, that is unworthy of us. Do not, do not willingly enslave yourself to trying to earn your own salvation. He says, you have been made in the image of God. You have been made in the image of God. He has given you his righteousness. He has given you his salvation. And to willingly enslave yourself, in Paul's words, is to sever yourself from Christ. To willingly make something other than God, to willingly make something other than Christ, your comfort and joy, your source for comfort and joy, is to sever yourself from Christ. That's a pretty extreme, extreme thing to do, right? And so we don't want to do that. We want to avoid that at all costs. We want, to, we want to put our focus in Christ as much as we can, and we want to avoid enslaving ourselves. Now, we have to ask ourselves also, how do we accomplish this freedom, right? How do, how do we accomplish the freedom for which Christ has set us free? Well, first off, I want to say this. I'm not telling you all to go abandon your hobbies. <laughs> 
I will probably go play video games at some point, probably tonight even, go play some Minecraft or something. I don't know. Um, I'm not telling you have to abandon your hobbies. You know, enjoy them. Um, use them as a, as, a, as a source of comfort and joy. Use them as a source to glorify God. They're good. They're good things that God has given us, right? Sports are a good thing. It's only when we've taken them too far. It's only when we've put, taken them out of their place as a, as a way to glorify God and as a way to, to, to experience some comfort and joy. It's only when we take those as our primary source. And it's only when we take those and put them in the place of God that they become bad. So I'm not telling you to go abandon everything. Um, still enjoy those things. Just let's make sure we put them in our proper place. But how do we do that? Um, I've got three ways that we can, we can do that uh, real quickly. First, we have to submit to a power greater than that which is on earth. Okay, so the Scottish minister, Thomas Chalmers, um, he, he puts it this way, he's a, a Scottish minister um, in the early 1800s. Um, he called it the expulsive power of a new affection. I don't know if Justin's mentioned that before. It's one of his, it's Rod Mays, he's a, a professor at RTS Seminary that um, Justin's really close with, but he uses this a lot. It's this expulsive power of a new affection. He says it this way, this is Thomas Chalmers, There are two ways in which a practical moralist may attempt to displace from the human heart its love of the world, either by a demonstration of the world's vanity, so that as the heart, sorry, so as that the heart shall be prevailed upon simply to withdraw its regards from an object that is not worthy of it, or by setting forth another object, even God, as more worthy of its attachment, so is that the heart shall be prevailed upon not to resign an old affection, which shall have nothing to succeed it, but to exchange an old affection for a new one. Okay, that's a mouthful, and it's you know, written in the early 1800s. Um, so let's, let's summarize that a little bit. He's saying there are two ways that you can get rid of a bad habit, essentially, um, or, or get rid of an idol in your life. First, the, the way, and he says, ultimately he says this is a futile way, is you just kind of look at it and you realize that it's futile, you realize it's a trivial pursuit in your life, and you just like realize how bad it is for you, so you just give it up. He's like, he's like that doesn't work. <laughs> um, you can't just give up a bad habit um, just, just by seeing how bad it is. It never works practically, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. He says what you have to do, and this is the second way that he, he says, you have to replace it with something new, something that your your mind, your your enjoyment can attach itself to. You have to replace it with a, a new affection, right? So he says, Thomas Schalmer, he goes on later and says, that has to be God in our lives. We have to, when we have these attachments, when we have these affections that have taken the place of God, when we have these affections that have, have, have overrun our lives and we've placed them as idols, we put them on, in, the, in the altar of our heart where only God should be, like the only way to get rid of those things is by replacing it with God. Your heart has to be filled with something. We're not made to, to, to be by ourselves. We're not made to be just completely independent. We need something. We're made for worship. And so because of our sin, we tend to worship these other things. We tend to worship created things and we make these idols for ourselves. And, and Chalmers is saying the only way to, to get rid of an idol is by replacing it with something else. Uh, simply put, if there's something in our lives that is taking the place of God as our primary source of joy and peace, um, the only way to, to get rid of that idol, to overcome that idol, is to replace it with something better. And the only thing that is better than an idol is the real thing. Butter will always be better than margarine. Gluten, gluten bread, always better than not gluten-free. It just, it's how it is. The, the substitute is never as good as the original. 
it's never as good. And an idol will never be as good as God because it can, an idol can never satisfy your life. He goes on to say, hey, we're meant to pursue things. That's what we're made. We're made to be in pursuit of something. Man, that's, that's, that's our natural, like, that's our natural, uh, like, reason for us to be on, be on earth. Is we're supposed to pursue something. Trauma says that we're, we're supposed to pursue that relationship with God. That's what we're made for. But again, because of sin, we end up pursuing things that cannot satisfy. We end up pursuing things that cannot, cannot ultimately fill the void in our lives. Um, and it's in, in his experience that you can't just beat those by, by focusing on the vanity of, of the idols. You can only beat them by replacing them with God. So that's the first way you kind of start to experience that freedom with Christ. Is you have to you have to realize you have an idol. You have to realize that something's there and that it's bad. It's 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 turned into an idol in your life, and you have to actively and willingly replace it with God. Second, the way you, you keep it's kind of this is the way you keep doing it is you have to actively keep coming back to the cross. All right, our hearts and because of our sin, we're going to keep trying to find new idols. We're going to keep trying to fill the void in our, in our lives, in our hearts, and we're going to keep doing that with created things. We're going to keep doing that with things that are never meant to satisfy us. Um, and we're going to, we have to keep coming back to the cross to keep expelling out these old affections, these, these worthless affections in our, in our lives. Um, we have to keep coming back to the community that God has given us, and we have to keep refueling on the love of Christ and refueling on on the love of others. Verse 6, Paul says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. We have to keep reminding ourselves um, of the gift that God has given us, and we have to keep acting on that daily. What does that look like? Well, that looks like sharing the gospel with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends. We have to keep reminding ourselves of the truth. We have to keep going back to the word of God we have to keep going back to him in prayer and we have to keep relying on him and trusting him and, and, and just experiencing a relationship with God. And guys, there's no better place than to, to do that, to keep coming back to the cross, than here on Sunday morning when we come and gather together as a church, as a, as a, a body of believers. There's no better place than to come and hear the word of God taught and preached and, and experience the relationship that God offers us. Right? We have to keep coming back to the cross. That's the only way that we're going to experience this freedom. And then finally, practically, um, we have to serve each other in love. We have to actually act on the love that we say we have. Right? Paul, it's, it's kind of funny, and I don't know if you notice this, but Paul spends, um, if you've read Galatians, Paul spends like three pages kind of railing against the Judaizers. And ultimately railing against the law. He's like, the law is worthless. The law is worthless. It's vanity. It can do nothing for you. It's pointless. It has no value. It has no power. Um, he just kind of rails against the law. Um, he rails against morality, moralism, all that stuff. Um, but then in, in chapter 5, he kinda, it seems like he switches gears um, and, and kind of says, now go follow the law. Um, he says, if, if you caught it here, it says in verse 3, he tells us that we are free from the obligation to obey the law. That's verse 3 in, in chapter 5. Then he says in verse 13, he says, well, but you need to go serve, your, you need to go serve one another in love. So he, gives, he kind of, in a sense, gives us a law to follow, serve one another in love. And then he says in verse 14 that to love your neighbor as yourself is the sum of all the law. 
So basically, Paul has spent three pages saying, hey, the law is worthless. Don't, you don't have to follow it anymore. But then he goes in, towards the end of his book says, actually, no, go follow the law. Um, which seems kind of <laughs> contradictory a little bit, in a, in a sense. And as you read it, it's, it's kind of like, wait, what, what are you doing there, Paul? How are you, how are you saying that? What are you, what are you saying, really? But we'll realize once you read it, Paul is not saying that we are free to just completely ignore the law. He says we are free from the obligation of the law for our salvation. See, here's the thing. The law enslaves us just like all those, those idols that we make, all those hobbies that, that take the place of God as our comfort and joy, just like our job can do, just like relationships can do. Those enslave us when they are our source of salvation. When they, when they are what we consistently go to as our, as our only source for joy, for our only source of comfort, they enslave us because they stop becoming something that we choose to do because we enjoy them. They stop becoming something we've chosen to do because we, we just like doing the thing, the, those things and they become something that we are compelled to do to get relief from the world. And they enslave us. And the law, apart from the grace of God, can, be the, can do the same thing. When we're using it to, to earn our salvation, when we're do, using it to merit something from God, to try to manipulate God, to make Him... To make him think we're good enough it enslaves us it enslaves us when we're trying to do it just so we can be a better person and we're not doing it because God loves us it enslaves us but once once we've understood the grace of God Paul says look you're free from the obligation to obey the law right there's no you don't have to worry about the anxiety that comes along with trying to earn your way to heaven you don't have to worry about the insecurity of trying to earn your way to heaven Kim Keller is, you know, the, um, my good performance means nothing. My bad performance means nothing when it comes to sal- a means of salvation. It, you, you cannot earn your way into heaven. And you cannot act so poorly that God will refuse to save you. And that is such a freeing and relaxing thing. But here's the deal. Paul says, once you've experienced that grace, once you've experienced the exhilarating beautiful, wonderful love of God, well then the only thing that you, that, that you should be compelled to is obedience to the law. It no longer is, is something we do to merit salvation, but is, a, a, is something we do to show God how much we love Him. So we are free from the law as a, as a means for salvation, but we are obligated to obey the law as a means to show our joy and our appreciation for Christ. And to follow Him, to look more like Him, we start to enjoy living a holy life. We start to enjoy doing the things that God has called us to. Again, not to earn our salvation, but simply because we want to. Because we want to. I I just want to end on this. If If you've experienced that love, if you've experienced the love of, of Christ, then you know you kind of know what I'm talking about. The love of Christ is, is so compelling. It makes, it, it makes you want to follow Him. It makes you want to love Him, to be more like Him. And it's exhilarating. You, many of you have experienced those mountaintop, those mountaintop spiritual experiences where you, you just kind of get really on fire for the Lord and like all you want to do is just like pray and read your Bible and like tell other people about Jesus and like you could just like go move to some third world country and just do it right then and there. Like it's just, you get, you get like really excited about it. You know, everyone has, has, has those moments. Um, if you've experienced God's love, 
Like that, but that, that's ultimately what we're talking about is that God, his love is compelling. His love is compelling and it, it makes us want to do something. It's not something we're told we have to do any longer. It's something that we just want to do because of his love. If you haven't experienced that love, um, I would encourage you to talk to someone. Your neighbor sitting beside you, I can, I can tell you right now, they, they'd want to tell you about the love of Christ. They want to tell you about how amazing and how life-changing it is. And they would want you to experience that all-encompassing compassion of Christ um, that we get to experience daily. So please talk to someone. Talk to me after the sermon. I, I, I'd love that dearly to be able to talk to someone and tell them about the love of Christ. So, with all that said, this is, this is kind of a summation of all that I've said so far. We are free from the law. We are free from the law to go obey the law. We are free from the, the obligation to try to merit our salvation. We, we are no longer held in that insecurity. We no longer have to worry about that anxiety. But now we get to go enjoy the law. We get to go experience the law and live a life that is honoring to God because of the great love with which he loved us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that you've given us to come um, and hear your word. Um, I pray that as we go about um, our day-to-day, as we celebrate this Father's Day, Lord, that we can um, look more like you today than we did yesterday, that we can grow in our relationship with you, um, that we can grow in our desire to follow the law um, and grow in our desire to reflect your will um, and your love to those around us. Um, be with us, Father, as we, as we go about our days. It is in your son's precious and holy name we pray. In Jesus' name.